The summer of 1972 is a very vivid memory in my life. In the summer of 1972, when school got out in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I grew up, my mom and dad told my sister Deb and I, we're going to Canada this summer. Like, really? I knew that Canada was north of Pennsylvania, but I have to admit to you, growing up in the United States school system, didn't really know much about Canada. So, early July of 1972, we get in our uh, Chevy, and we drive to Niagara Falls. And that was the beginning of a week of some really highs and really lows. First of all, uh, one of the highs was my mom taught me to swim at a hotel in Canada. Okay? Another memory I have, my, my dad and I were, were, were quite opposite. I'm really outgoing and loud, and my dad was not. But we were at a gas station uh, leaving Niagara Falls when my dad just got back in the car, ladies and gentlemen, and he was mad. And he said to my, wife, my mother, Joyce, I can't believe how expensive gasoline here is in Canada. 39 cents a gallon. <laughs> now, as I was reviewing this last night, I thought, I, you know, I want to go onto the internet and check the price. And I looked up Ontario and it, it said between 39 and 42 cents. I was like, okay. Um, and a couple other highlights. Um, it was a great vacation. But there was a low point in it. And so I would just like to open up by sharing that with you. So we're in Erie, Pennsylvania. And um, my dad, uh, a vacation for my dad was sitting in a chair and just relaxing. My mother, let's go, let's go, let's go. And you can ask my wife, I'm very much that way. You know, what's the next thing we're going to do? So we're at this hotel, and, you know, my mother taught me to swim just a few days ago in Canada. So we're, we're swimming in the pool, and my mom's like, Deb, Don, watch this. So she goes over to the edge of the pool and says to my dad, whose name was Don as well, Don, when are you coming in the pool? My dad had a newspaper in front of his face, and he pulled the paper down. Joyce, don't bug me. I'm reading. Put the paper back up. My sister starts laughing. My mother's like, I'm not done with him yet. So she tries again. Don't You, you know you want to be in the pool. My dad pulls the paper down. Joyce. You and I both know, I don't know how to swim. Paper back up. My mother tried a third time. She actually got out of the pool, grabbed my dad's arm, and says, we are going in the pool together. So my dad gets in the pool. <laughs> I'll never forget this. I was eight years old at the time. 
He stood on the steps. He went one step down, looked at my mother. Are you satisfied? <laughs> she goes, oh, no, you're, you're getting in the water. So she got him into the water. A few minutes later, she still wasn't satisfied, and she got him out a little bit further. And then it happened. My dad started going down in the water, ladies and gentlemen. My mom was able to save my dad. I said to my sister a couple years ago when I went back to Pennsylvania, I don't remember what happened after that. Can you help me with the rest of the story? She said, you don't remember? I'm like, no, I don't. She goes, mom was so exhausted. She started going down in the water. And fortunately, I was a better swimmer than you and four years older than you. And I was able to help mom. And when I think about life's low points, I want to be very sensitive this morning and say, I don't know what the Lord's taking you through or what you've been through. Maybe it's family hurt. Maybe it's church hurt. It could be a myriad of things. But the Lord reminded me about a couple years ago that this could have been a low point in the whole life of the Dewey family. And yet God showed up. And I believe with all my heart that it would be easy to focus on the low points. And I was praying, Lord, I don't have a story at the beginning. And I'm thinking about this one. And then Friday night, he's like, Don, you got it all wrong. Remember your title? I'm like, yeah, life's low points, yet God. Don, don't forget the last part of that. That's what I want you to speak on. So I'm going to spend the last uh, bit of this time together with you about that last part. You know, when you think of those hard times in your lives, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget the yet God. If I could summarize my first 18 years of my life and give it to you in a word or a phrase, here's my word. Protected. The Lord personally protected me from drugs, premarital sex, alcohol. You know, when you have a mother that loves Jesus, that's very... Very hard to miss. And I want to just say to you today, a couple of weeks ago, Susan came up on stage. I volunteered for the first time down in grade three. And my wife told me that Susan made an announcement that our church needs more help in our kids and children's and youth ministries. And as I started to pray about that, the Lord gave me this thought. Dawn, who's going to teach our children? And so I just want to pass it on to you, okay? I'm a school teacher, but can I tell you what I really am? I'm a lover of children. I'm a cheerleader of children. I want my kids in school to do their very best. I want them to love God with all their heart. 
I want them to be respectful. I want them to be hardworking. I want them to be all the attributes that we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, sorry. So, one of my favorite pastors beside Pastor Rob, I want to make sure I said that, is uh, Chuck Swindoll. Chuck Swindoll is uh, with um, uh, a ministry that you can hear on the radio, um, Insight for a Living. And Chuck Swindoll broke down the, the book of Jonah in four chapters, okay, and four themes. Um, a year, just a, over a year ago, I spoke from jo- Jonah 1 and 2, and those thoughts were chapter 1, running from God and running to God. We're going to spend some time today looking at chapters 3 and 4 together, running with God and running against God, ladies and gentlemen. So, um, I had the opportunity and the privilege to go to Gimli Bible Camp this summer and speak. And um, I uh, spoke from Jonah, and I'll uh, have you repeat after me, Jonah chapter, you don't have to say Jonah chapter 1, just say this part. God said go. Well, can you give me a little more? God said go. Jonah said, no. no. So that's really the theme of chapters 1 and 2. Okay, now let's pick up the story in chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city and proclaimed, 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Jonah, Jonah just came out of a great fish. I mean, let's think about this. Like, I've done a little bit of fishing in my life, but I've never been inside a fish. I don't even like to eat fish. Okay? But Jonah came out of the great fish. I believe it was probably a low point in his life. But I think it was low because I'm sure he felt humiliated, embarrassed, regretful, guilty. Maybe something that he wouldn't want his friends to bring up to him. And like I mentioned earlier, I wrestled this week about how to get started this morning. And like I said, the Lord's like, Don, you have it all wrong. Focus on the yet God part. So the God gave the Ninevites a second chance. I am standing here before you this morning as a person that God has given more than second chances to. Way more. Way more. 
So in chapter 3, Jonah was called to go a second time. And you know what? When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes and covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. So God gave Jonah a second chance. And guess what? God gave Jonah's enemies a second chance. God gives us a second chance. But those that have hurt us, they also get second chances. Please hear me say that. God gives them second chances. So shouldn't we? God gave the Ninevites a second chance. This is one of my little Dewey-isms. Okay? Take it for what it's worth. When you do what you want to do, you will not do what the Lord intended for you to do. That's a lot of do's. So let me just break that down for you. When you do what you want to do, When I do what I want to do, I would call that self-centeredness and selfishness. When you do what you want to do, you will not do what the Lord intended for you to do. I can just say to you that when I'm angry, when I'm frustrated, when I'm tired when I haven't been fueled up with the the right kind of food, my decision-making is not my best at that point. And so I want to encourage you to think about this, to think about what does the Lord want from us. Jonah was given the opportunity to tell the Ninevites God's message. And Tony Evans, pastor in Dallas, Texas, says, repentance is giving God the opportunity to reverse his judgment. There's a lot going on in our world today, ladies and gentlemen. Okay? And I was telling Matt this morning, we were talking a little bit. Our children are impacted by the decisions around us right now. Our children need to be loved. Our children need to know that they're valued. Okay? And our children need the Word of God instilled in them. Okay? And I'm a public school teacher. I love being a public school teacher. But in the average public school classroom, they're not hearing much about Jesus today. And I want to just say that 
The church has always been important because it's important to the Lord. But if we are going to raise up, we need to do it now. Our children need it. There's beautiful ministry going on in this building as I speak. Upstairs, downstairs, to the babies, to the uh, the younger children. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I were at a meeting when Taylor and the youth group met downstairs. Oh, it was electric. Walking, like there was just, like... The excitement, the like the anticipation was there. Honestly, as someone that's been a sports person all my life, like it, there was energy there. Like, you know, if you were at a Jets game, now welcome, you know, like the players and stuff. Like it was exciting to be just able to walk through and hear that. Okay, so I just want to encourage you with that to continue. Please continue to pray for our children. Jonah, ladies and gentlemen, was God's mouthpiece. And yet, if you look at Jonah chapter 4 closely, he kind of was a miserable person. Okay? And um, Brad Clausen, a friend of mine, we sat down and talked about it. And he's like, Don, he goes, I'm not judging anyone, anyone, but he goes, I think a lot of Christians got Jonah's story wrong at the end. Okay, we see him as a superhero, and yes, he had his part, ladies and gentlemen. But let's not forget what happened here in, in chapter four. Okay, so I just would like to read this to you and make some uh, comments. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, "O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home, that I was so quick to flee to Tarshish?" I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than live. But the Lord replied, Do you have any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, Jonah provi- sorry, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people 
who cannot tell their left hand from their right, right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Jonah complained. Jonah was angry. I don't think the two go well together in doing the Lord's will. Anger and complaining. God asked Jonah, have you any right to be angry? I'm sure he was pretty calm when he said it. Maybe maybe not, but I, I could just imagine if he had asked me, Don, why are you angry? I think he would do it gently. Jonah wants his way. See, when you do what you want to do, it can go bad quick. I'm speaking from personal experience. It can go bad really quick. Personally, um, being a sports person again, I relate everything to two things, Rob, food and sports. Okay, So sports is kind of my stick, so I'll just kind of go there. If you've ever been to a sporting event, I took my kids one time to a Sacramento Kings basketball game when Michael Jordan was still playing for the Chicago Bulls. My son noticed after the first quarter, he looked me right in the eye and he goes, Dad, have you noticed what's going out on the court? Like as a basketball coach, Greg and I would obviously notice this. And I said, well, before I answer it, Michael, what did you notice? He said, Dad, every time the ref made a call, someone on the court, either team, the Kings or the Bulls, were mad. Seriously, every call. These are grown men making millions of dollars. Every call. So we watched the second quarter. And what Micah really did was he kind of invited me To speak life into him about how to play sports. We got to the end of the second quarter. We went out and took a walk during halftime. He goes, okay, dad, when we go back in for the third and fourth quarter, can you not like commentate on every call? (laughs) I, 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 dad, I I get what, what you mean. I think he was sorry for bringing the, the, the first quarter up, but anyway, anyway. Can I remind you of two verses? These are two verses that I'm working at every day. The first one, very familiar. Psalm 91, 1 and 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I was watching CBN Friday night, and a man who's a commentator for CBN, his name is Chris. To me, he's like a pastor at the end of his broadcast. He reads scripture, he prays, he takes Psalm 122.6, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And those who love you, Lord, may be secure. And then Nahum, Nahum 1.7, I'd like to read to you. 
maybe not as familiar. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust Him. So I'm going to put myself on the spot. I can imagine the Lord asking me right now, Don, do you, do you trust me? Uh, yeah. Don, do you trust me? Yeah. I don't know about you, but many times the Lord will not just ask me once or twice. He'll ask me time and time again. And in both of those verses, ladies and gentlemen, God is our refuge is in both verses. God is our refuge for those who trust Him. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will direct your paths. Are we on the right path? I know I've been on the wrong path at times. But I just praise the Lord today that He wants you to know before you walk out of here today that you are loved. I had a highlight moment Thursday at school. Highlight moment. I walked into a grade 5 classroom because as a math teacher, we are asked to go to another class work with another teacher, and with their students. So, uh, Tristan Ricketts, one of my colleagues, says, okay, you're going to have so-and-so, so-and-so, and Miley. Now, I knew Miley goes to the church, because I've seen her hugging on Agatha quite a bit to get a piece of gum. <laughs> so, we did some multiplication facts. And every time she got one right, she'd give me a little smile. I'd give her a little piece of candy. I was expecting her to eat it. No, she was stacking her candy. I think she knew, oh, this is going to go well. So we got to do multiplication facts, Miley and two of her classmates. And I look over at the end when the time was almost up. Miley had a little stack of candy. She goes, Mr. Dewey, I got five pieces of candy. Like, wow. I said, well, you, you deserve that candy, Miley. Okay. And then uh, the, the precious part of that was just to see the joy on her face. It made what, what I do as a teacher just, it just meant so much to me. It meant so much to me that, wow, I actually see happiness in a child. I actually see a child that loves the Lord. I see that. And so it was just such a blessing. So I just wanted to share that with you. I have one last uh, story that I want to share with you. Two years ago, around Christmas, I'm having my devotions, and I felt the Lord lay on my heart two words. It's time. I'm in a room by myself, okay? And I'm going, time for what? Don, you've always said you wanted to write a book. 
Let's get to it. The Lord showed me that he wanted me to begin writing children's books. And I'll just show it to you. If you want any information, there's some paper flyers out on the, in the hallway. Jonah, God's love is bigger than a well. You know what? The Lord put a team together, starting with our dear Tony Clark, who's a teacher in Niverville. He and I talked, and he's like, Don, I have a student that I think will do a great job. And I just wanted to show one picture from it. His name is Joel Harnett. He was actually one of Tony's students. He just graduated from Niverville Collegiate. He's going to Bible College in BC at Columbia Bible College. He is an incredible young man that loves Jesus. And he and, and uh, Joel and I talked. And he goes, Don, how do you want to end the book? And I said, Joel, there's no doubt in my mind when, when I read Jonah's story, it's really not about Jonah. It's more about Jesus. So I want him to get the credit. And so I want to just show you a picture. It's up on the screen. But to me, in this book, ladies and gentlemen, it just reminds me of when I gave my life to Jesus as a four-year-old boy in Pennsylvania. And there are so many children around me right now that do not have Jesus. Okay? And my favorite verse, the very first verse I learned as a boy, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believeth in Him will not perish and have eternal life. I can stand here before you today as a testimony of God's love and compassion and grace. There's nothing special about me. What is special is my relationship with a loving, compassionate, gracious Lord Jesus Christ. I have a question for you to finish. Will you and I follow and trust Jesus? Okay? Will we follow Him and trust Him? Our dear friend, uh, Vince Kaler. I don't know if Vince is here today. Vince, are you here? Okay. Anyway, Vince has been involved in our church the last couple of years. Vince is, uh, I'm not going to, I'll mess up my microphone, so, but I do have the shirt on. And um, Val and I volunteered at Summer in the City with our church in June, Friday night. Colton and Jolene were there, we're visiting, and I just felt that I needed to walk down the street. I didn't get a blo- I, I didn't get past the red light when a businessman from this town said, "Don, come here. I haven't seen you for a while. Let's talk." So we talked for a while, and he goes, "I have something to say to you," and he just kind of stopped. I said, "What do you want to say?" He goes, "So you go to the church right here that that's doing all the work right now, right?" I'm like. Yeah, he goes, and I forgot that I had the shirt on. He goes, yeah, I can see it on your shirt. Then he went on to tell me just briefly, he goes, Don, 
I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen any group serve Steinbeck like this. And so I want to pass that on to you. I want to pass that on to you because we live in a time where where people desperately need Jesus. And Dave, my dear friend and mentor, has encouraged me to allow the Lord to use your gifts, whatever each of our gifts are. Allow the Lord to use them, ladies and gentlemen. And I want to just uh, pray and ask Greg to... uh, and the worship team to make their way up here. Yes, there's no doubt. There is no doubt that life has its low points. There's no doubt. But you know what? Yet God. Let's please not forget that part. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Oh, wow. You are so good to us. And I just want to pray, Lord Jesus, for faithful followers of you. I think of the precious paper that our church puts out from Going Global. For Dave and Lynn. For Diego and Carla. For Jen Duick. For Doug and Jan Taylor for this precious Syrian family. Oh, Lord, we need you now. Our families need you. Our children need you. Our world needs you. And Lord, I just ask that you would touch our hearts. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And Lord, I just wonder today if there are any in our room that want to say yes to you today. They want to say yes to you today to commit their lives to following you. And I just praise you and thank you for this opportunity and privilege to talk about you, Lord, because that's what's going to save us. That's what's going to save our world. And I just give this to you And thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in Calvary Church and in our lives, Lord. Protect our children as they go to school this week and let them know how much they are loved. In Jesus' name, and everyone said...